Welcome to the All-American Chapel Protestant Service Podcast. This week's sermon will be given by Chaplain Dominic Grotti. Amazing grace that he would give his life for ours. That's why we gather here today. That's why we gather here every Sunday to celebrate that one thing, that he would give his life for us. I want to read, uh, I don't normally do this, but uh, I want to read just a a quick uh, part of Psalm 136 that speaks to that very same thing as well and encourages us to give thanks for that. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him alone does great wonders, who by his understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth among the waters, who made the great lights, the sun that governs the day, the moon and the stars that govern tonight. This is the God that we gather to serve today. And this is his son, Jesus, who gave his life for us. And if that's not amazing, then I'm sorry. You need need to uh, get into the word a little bit more because there is nothing else more amazing than that right there. So good to see you. I hope that your week has been a good week, and I hope that as you have gathered here today to start a new week, that this will help you to just have the right focus in going into this week ahead. So let me open this up in a word of prayer, and then we'll stand and greet each other. Father, as we have the opportunity now to just come into your presence and to sing unto you, Lord, How amazing it is that your son Jesus would come and give his life for us. Help us, Lord, to not tire of this mystery, of this miracle. Even as we continue our look through the Gospel of John, and as we do our best to just glean from what John is teaching us, about how wonderful your son Jesus is in giving his life for us. I pray that this message, that this miracle and all of the signs that point to that would just take root in our heart in such a way that this would be what motivates us more than anything else in this life. So, Father, bless our time together today. I pray that as we worship you, that we would remove distractions and disappointments and things that that would cause us to stray from our focus and help us, I pray, to just give unto you today our best in all that we do. I ask these things, Father, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He will hold us fast. And that is a great testimony of a Savior who loves us. 
We're going to be in John chapter 11 today. I invite you to go ahead and turn there now. Um, we're going to be throughout that whole chapter, uh, the resurrection of Lazarus. But first, let's pray. Lord, we just ask that you would give us faith to believe. As we study your word today, your word transforms us. It does not return void. And so we ask that you would give us your wisdom, your understanding, because on our own, we are dead in our sins, without hope. And yet you give us hope. You give us life. You offer, offer us a resurrection from spiritual death to new, everlasting life. And so, Lord, reveal to us your truth, that you are truth, so that we might believe. Show us that you are the resurrection, you are the life, so that we might believe and worship you as we've just proclaimed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I can't believe this. I can't believe this. I can't believe this. I just kept on saying that over and over again as I stepped out onto that wheel well, right? That it was just literally just a few seconds of time, but that moment, it froze in my memory. See, it was a six-seater Cessna, and it was 4,000 feet above the Colorado sky, and it was my first jump ever. And ladies and gentlemen, I'll just say, this has to be the slowest exit of a plane that could ever be conceived or imagined, right? Because I'm somewhat tall, and a Cessna is somewhat short, and this is how you get out of a Cessna at 4,000 feet, Right? You crawl out an open door with all this wind blowing, and then you step out onto a wheel well, 4,000 feet in the air. You step out your second leg, and then you grab onto this strut that's between the wing and the fuselage, and you're like, really? Is that what I should be doing? And then, to make it worse, you let your feet dangle so that the plane that's going about 110 miles per hour is literally dragging you across the Colorado sky. And you let go, and then you're, man, talk about a leap of faith. Plenty of time, though, in this slow exit for me to doubt. Plenty of time for me to say, Dom, what you're doing is crazy. I can't believe what you're about to do. Right? Plenty of time for me to say, you know what? I have more faith in the pilot to get me down than my parachute. Right? Have you ever been confronted to make a decision? I mean, a decision where there is no middle ground. A paratrooper does it every jump. Put your trust, put your trust in that T-11. Put your trust in that MC-6 and then get a good exit, right? 12 up, 36 out, right? But make no mistake, Every jump, at every jump, you have to stand at the door and you have to make a decision. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no middle ground. And we're going to learn from Scripture today, in God's eyes, through this passage, there is no middle ground. You jump or you don't. You believe or you won't. Maybe, maybe it's not a life, maybe your decision is not jumping out of a pair of out of being a paratrooper, jumping out of a plane. Maybe it's another life decision, getting married, having a family. Maybe it's a career decision, an oath of commission, an oath of enlistment. Or maybe it's retirement. 
But make no mistake, your actions demonstrate that there is no middle ground. You either step out and believe or you don't. You either trust that that rigor did a great job. You trust and put your faith in that jump master as they do the JMPI in inspecting you. You trust your jump master as he says go that you're going to land on the drop zone. You trust the parachute. You trust your reserve. That's a perfect example of faith. But there is no middle, middle ground. As we've been studying this series on the book, uh, the Gospel of John, Jesus has demonstrated just who he is to us. And we've talked through these signs that John talks about the signs as we've just read. These miracles, they reveal who he is. And we've seen as he has walked on the water that creation has to submit to him. As he creates bread out of nothing, that creation, he is the creator just by his words. As he heals the, the sick and the lame, the blind on the Sabbath, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And we're to worship him. As he turns the water into wine, he gives us a picture that he is our restorer, that he is our redeemer. And now we move to the seventh and most convincing sign of them all, the resurrection of Lazarus. For John, for the disciples, for those, the audience, the crowd that were there, that saw it, that experienced it, make no mistake. Also, for the readers of the gospel, it confronts us all to make a decision. Just like you're at the door of a plane ready to jump. This is John's purpose. Ultimately, this is Jesus' purpose for why you are here now. There is no middle ground. Do you believe this? There can be no standing at the door and waiting. The green light is on. The jump master has said, go. What will you do? It's time to step out and make a decision. Do you believe Christ is your victory over death? Let me say that again. Do you believe Christ is your victory over death? For, that's the question for all of us. It's the question that the Lord has for you as you're here today. Can the dead have eternal life? Is there life after death? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Or is this religion thing made up? That's the challenge. But make no mistake, there is no middle ground. In this sign, the resurrection of Lazarus, Jesus gives us the answer. John records it, confronting us all to say, do you believe this? First, what we're going to do is we're going to read verses 38 through about 44, just to get the context of the miracle. And then what we'll, we'll see, three different groups of people throughout chapter 11, as they react, as they respond, the decisions they make in the midst of all the chaos, chaos around it. So I invite you to read with me, starting in verse 38. It says this. So Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench. For he has been dead four days. 
Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now this was the miracle. This was the sign. Jesus demonstrated who he is, forcing those who were there into a decision of faith. And again, as we look through chapter 11, we'll see three different groups of people and how they responded. The first is way back in verse, starting in verse 1. And it's the response of the disciples. And if you're taking notes, I want you to catch this. The, the, the disciples believed in the midst of their fears. Let me say that again. The disciples believed in the midst of their fears. Again, look with me in verse 1. This is what it says. Now a certain man was Lazarus. A certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. So Jesus first hears of the news, and his immediate response is, this sickness won't end by death. Well, let me tell you what the disciples felt at this moment. Relief. Because in John chapter 10, while Jesus was in this same area in Jerusalem at the Feast of Dedication, he almost got stoned for claims of deity. And so he escapes with his life. And as we learned from Chaplain Griffin last week in John chapter 9, he was escaping the temple earlier. Why? Because the Jews wanted to stone him for claims of deity he made in chapter 8. It was a dangerous time to be a disciple of Jesus. It was a dangerous time to be a follower of Christ. And just when they hear that Lazarus is sick, they're like, oh no. Christ loves Lazarus. He is going to go to him. And we are going to go back to the, the hornet's nest. And this news that Jesus gives, it's not going to end by death. Relief. But it's short-lived. Two days exactly. Start with me in verse 5. It says this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And you, are you going to go there again? So it wasn't until two days later that Jesus drops the bomb on bomb on them and says, we're going back. Ladies and gentlemen, here's where fear takes over. Jesus, you were nearly stoned, and the disciples knew those Jews were still out for blood for what he had said. And you would go back into that hornet's nest? I mean, this was asking for trouble. This was putting them all in harm's way. Have you ever been there? I mean, in a, in a state of fear. Maybe it's a mission you had, or maybe it's a person you had to confront. 
But you knew wherever you had to go, that room, that building, that town, whatever waited for you was trouble. It only had designs to end you. That's what Jesus was asking of his disciples. And so he responds in verse 9. He says this. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go so that I may waken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus responds to their fear, and his response is, you are protected because I have work to do. I am the light of the world. The darkness cannot overcome it. Where I go, death and sin cannot stop me. But the disciples, they don't get it. And they literally respond, Jesus, there is no good reason to go back to Judea. He'll get better. He says, I am the light of the world, and I have work to do, and nothing can stop me. So they don't get it, so Jesus spells it out, starting in verse 14. Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, so that we may die with him. So Jesus spells it out for his disciples. Lazarus, verse 14, is dead. You see, the work that Christ was about to do was going to change everything. He was going to resurrect his dear friend Lazarus. And he was going to do it. And this is key for all of us to catch in verse 15. He was going to do it so that you may believe. See, Jesus had a greater purpose than compassion. I want you to catch this because most of us, we miss this. Yes, he had compassion for Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and we're going to see that. But he had a greater purpose for this miracle. Life-transforming faith. He knew the disciples, when they came face-to-face with a resurrecting Savior, that it would transform their faith So that they would be able to believe no matter what principality, no matter what person held it against them, no matter what fear this world has to offer, it cannot take the Savior away from you. It was to stir a belief, a faith within his disciples to move them past any of their fears. He says in verse 15, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. What? I'm glad he died. Because he had a greater purpose. His power over death. Through that, the disciples would be given a faith that would overcome their own fear of death. And serve him, serve him to their dying breath. This faith, this belief would not be immediate, right? The disciples were scattered when Jesus was captured. When he was crucified, they hid. But make no mistake, in Acts chapter 1... He said, when my spirit comes on you, you will receive power. And the disciples were transformed from that moment on. And Peter says in Acts chapter 4, to the same people that had Jesus killed, the same people that had him crucified, he says, judge for yourselves whether it is right to obey God or man. But as for us, 
we can't help but to speak about what we've seen and heard. Thomas, cynically in verse 16, he says, let's go and die. But even he is transformed in John chapter 20 when he sees Jesus and he says, my Lord and my God. And he did die for Christ. So, All-American Church, All-American Chapel, the question is, will you believe in the midst of your fears? Jesus is revealing his sign to you in the same way he confronts his disciples. Whatever it is that you're afraid of, whatever the world threatens you with, whether it's your career, your relationships, your progression, your status, whatever your reputation is, will you believe in the midst of your fear? And Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world in verse 9. When you are with me, when I am doing my work, this world cannot stop you. There is nothing it can take from you. Will you believe this? Do you believe this? Will you step out? Ladies and gentlemen, we are at the door of faith in Christ. You are on the plane. Will you step out? The light is green. The jump master has said, go. There is plenty in this world to fear. There is plenty that this world will throw at you. Failed relationships. Failure with your own moral or your own integrity. And Jesus is saying, that does not change who I am. I am your light. And I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Ladies and gentlemen, we can believe as the disciples believed in the midst of our fears. But that's not the only group of people that, that encounter Jesus through this. We also see, so not just the disciples believing in the midst of their fears, we see the response of the sisters, Mary and Martha, who believed in the midst of their pain and suffering. Read with me in verse 17 through 19, and we'll stop there for a sec. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now Mary and Martha were in a traditional time of mourning. Uh, depending on the relationship and the, how important the person in the community, it could last for weeks, it could last for months, even longer. Right? And the Jews made a big deal out of funerals, out of the loss of life. They wore certain gowns to, to describe what stage of grief they were in. They would have choruses of wailers and weepers that were professionally, that was their occupation, that would come and would wail and help the, the family grieve. And we learn from this verse the status. We learn from the verse the status that, that Lazarus and his family had. Because all these people came to weep with Martha and Mary. All of them showed how loved Lazarus was, how much pain they were in. Lazarus was dead, and their world was crushed. Verse 20 says this, Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, you will give. So fitting to Martha's personality, she finds out first, right? And she does something about it. She meets him outside the village, and her first words to Christ was, if you had been here. See, Martha had seen Jesus heal countless times. Total strangers, as we saw last week, people that hadn't even asked to be healed. How much more would have he spared Lazarus? 
How many times her and Martha, I mean her and Mary must have said to themselves, Jesus is coming. He's going to come. I know how much he loves Lazarus. He will spare us. And she had seen Jesus do this over and over again. How much pain and suffering in her life, in Mary's life, in Lazarus' life might have been spared, but he wasn't there. He didn't stop the pain. How could this be? Why did he let this happen? Even in the midst of her pain, she expresses to Jesus, if you would just take it away now. You could take it away now. Jesus, you could fix what was broken. You could right this wrong. Often when we go through trials, this is our response. God, take the pain away. And often he doesn't. It's not that he doesn't care. We're going to see he in fact cares deeply. Last week we learned from Chaplain Griffin's sermon that Jesus focuses on pain and suffering in this world. His focus is it is an opportunity for what? God to be glorified. And so he gives Martha this response in verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, Jesus' response didn't reassure her like she hoped. He said Lazarus would rise again. She took it as a theological answer. And she said, well, Jesus, my pain is here and now. I get that there is an eternal resurrection. And to her credit, she answers, yes, there will be a resurrection in the last days. She answered better than the Pharisees, better than the religious elite. But it is of little comfort. You know when you've lost someone. It is little comfort for someone to come up and say, we're going to all be together in heaven one day. Buck up. That does not take away the hurt. But that's exactly what Jesus said. He was testing her faith, her character. And so just like he spells it out for the disciples, he spells it out for her in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into this world. Jesus' words are specific. I am the resurrection. I am the life. He did not say to her, I am the resuscitation, I'm the reinvigoration, I'm the revitalization, I'm the recuperation. He said, I am the resurrection. Even when there is death, it cannot overcome what he is. He is life. He is life to what is dead. Lazarus had to die to show that he is his life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Verse 25. Jesus is showing to her why he's about to do this sign. And, and again he says, Martha, do you believe this? Just like the disciples, what is foremost on Jesus' mind? It's Martha's faith. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering, do you trust that I am your life? Faith in him results in eternal life. And Martha is able to say, I have believed. I will step out. I will make the jump. In the midst of her pain, in the midst of her suffering, in confusion about the why, she still believed because Jesus was her hope. 
Now, verses 32, we see Mary's response. It says this, Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Now he, Mary sees Jesus and she's just broken. She collapses at his feet and didn't just says what her and Martha must have said over and over again. If you had just been there, if you had just been there. Jesus, his response to her is that he is moved. Now that word troubled, the, the language, it carries such a deep emotional caring that it is sadness, it is grief, it is even anger. Jesus sees what death and sin has done to his loved ones, how it held us prisoner. And he says, enough, where have you laid him? I have to show them who I am. Death, you will hold them prisoner no longer. I am the only one who could save them. The test of faith, the test of belief for Mary and for Martha could only come in the midst of their pain and suffering. And both believed. And now is the time for them all to see just what would happen. So all American, the question that Jesus posed to Martha, he is posing to you here and now. Do you believe this? There is no middle ground. Will you believe that he is your resurrection? Will you believe that he is your life? Check this out. Even in the midst of your pain. Even in the midst of your hurts. Even in the midst of your suffering. Will you trust that he is the one that is your eternal life? Can you cry out as Martha cried out? I have believed. We can believe in him in the midst of our pain because he is our life, because he is our resurrection, because there is nothing this world can take from us, because this world cannot overcome the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? This guarantee is our great hope. Death is defeated. The light is green. The jump master has said go. Will you jump? Will you believe? Now, finally, we're going to see the response of the crowd. So we've seen the disciples believe in the midst of their fear. We've seen the sisters believe in the midst of their pain and suffering. Now we're going to see the crowd. Will they believe in the midst of God's glory? Verse 35 says this, Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus again shows his love for, for his own, that he in fact is the good shepherd of John chapter 10, that lays down his life for his sheep. But the Jews, some see it when Jesus reveals his pain, they reveal that Jesus is revealing his helplessness, right? But Jesus undeterred in verse 38, and we've read through this, so I'll summarize. He says, remove the stone. Martha says, but he stinks. Verse 40. He responds, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? See, four days into his death, Lazarus, he would have been decaying. The Jews did nothing to stop the decay. So little animals, little insects, the bacteria would have literally destroyed his body. But Jesus, he gets to the whole reason for this miracle. And if you don't get anything else, it's this. Jesus did not do this to spare Lazarus a physical death. 
Did you hear that? Jesus did not do this to spare Lazarus a physical death. We know for a fact he died a second time. And we don't know that it was any better of an experience the second time around. Jesus did this to spare you a spiritual death. Jesus did this to spare you a spiritual death. He did this so the crowds, in verse 40, would see the glory of God. Verse 41, again summarizing, he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I say this so that they will all believe that you sent me. Lazarus, come forth. And of course the man who died came forth. In the midst of the stench, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the grief, in the midst of the fears, in the midst of the unbelieving crowd, Jesus speaks out so that they may believe. Verse 42. The glory of God was Jesus' power over death. Let me say that again. The glory of God is Jesus' power over death. And this sign was for their faith so they could believe. This is a physical historical, factual resurrection. This is a man who was dead, decaying, and destroyed. Literally, one moment, he was in heaven with the Father, and immediately, he is transported back to earth, on, on earth, with the Son. I want you to think about that for a second. It's the power of Christ. This miracle, this glory, would force, excuse me, force every one of the crowd to decide if they believe. Verse 45 says this, therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. So according to verse 45, many did believe. They saw, they witnessed that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and they believed. But verse 46 says some didn't. They rather would go back to the Pharisees, knowing that the Pharisees would have to do something, that they would have to take action. There's only two categories, according to Scripture, those who believed and those who did not. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no middle ground. Do you believe this? Whether it was the fear of the Pharisees or the cost of following Christ, they were called out to to step out and to believe, and they couldn't. So all American, Jesus' intent in this miracle for you, and John's intent for writing this down so that you would read it later, it is clear. It's written so you may believe. Jesus says the word believe over five times in this passage, and John includes it three more times. In this one chapter, eight times, it talks about belief, about faith. All American, do you believe this? That Jesus is the I am, that Jesus is your resurrection, that Jesus is your life. In the midst of your fears, in the midst of your pain and suffering, it does not change who he is. He is the one who has all authority and power to overcome our sin and overcome our death, to give us eternal life, to give us hope. The question for you, the question for me, is that same question Jesus confronts the crowd with, that he confronted Martha with, that he confronts the disciples with. Do you believe this? We're at the door of faith in Christ. 
The light is green. It's time to step out and to jump. No hesitations. No going back. Once you exit that plane, you can't get back in. Make no mistake. Not stepping out is a a decision in and of itself. Waiting to decide is a a decision of unbelief. And that's the warning. So you're saying, okay, Dom, what's the walk away? What, what do you want me to walk away with here and now? Believe in Christ. He is the resurrection. He is your life. Decide, step out, just simply step out in faith. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your fears, Christ is compassionate and loving just as he was to Martha and Mary. Christ is patient just as he was with the disciples and forgiving. Do you believe this? He's not asking for perfection. He is your perfection. He's asking for you. Do you believe this? He's calling us all to make a decision. To step out and make no mistake. According to scripture, according to God, there is no middle ground. There's no fence to ride. There's no hesitation. When you refuse, that's it. I'll sit you down. And you go back and land with the pilot. So now, in a time of response, I'm going to call Holly and the band up. And it's just going to be an opportunity for you to worship the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For you to worship him. And I'll just invite you, we're going to open this altar. If you need to pray and give over your pain and give over your suffering and give over your fears, then there will be chaplains here. If you need to ask a chaplain what it means to step out in faith and to truly believe, and you've been hesitating and you're just not sure, come talk with me or come talk with another chaplain. We'll be available. Or if you just need to worship your Lord and Savior who has saved you and who has delivered you and has promised you eternal life, I invite you to make that response to, as well. So pray with me. God, I thank you that you are the truth, that you are the life, that you are the way. And I thank you that you are our resurrection. And I pray right now with every heart that you would penetrate deep inside of us and that your word would transform us and that we would know what it means to have your life. We would know that it is a gift from you. It is by, by your power over sin and death. And that would give us great hope. And so we thank you for that, Jesus. I ask that no heart would leave unchanged, mine especially. As we come face to face with the power that Jesus is, that it would inspire in us, it would stir in us faith to step out and make that decision. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Respond to him. That was this week's All-American Chapel Protestant Service podcast. Please tune in for next week's podcast.